Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast, where each week we explore how your higher being becomes your everyday being. I'm Sarah Weiss, and today my conversation is with Regina Brett, one of the most generous, talented, creative people I know. Regina is the New York Times bestselling author of God Never Blinks, 50 Lessons for Life's Little Detours. She hosts the inspirational podcast, Little Detours with Regina Brett. And she also wrote Be the Miracle, 50 Lessons for Making the Impossible Possible. And God is Always Hiring, 50 Lessons for Finding Fulfilling Work. Surviving Cancer inspired Regina to write the famous 50 Life Lessons that became a viral sensation. So today, we'll be discussing how the life in front of you is the greatest spiritual teacher. Join me for my conversation with Regina Brett. So welcome to the podcast, Regina. Sarah, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited for you. I have to tell you what I was doing right before the podcast because it related directly to you. So normally before a a podcast, I'm getting ready to do it. But today, before your podcast, I just wanted to go outside, weed the garden, watch the dogs, look at the trees, and just ease into nature. And it just was such a perfect inspiration from your being to my being about how to come into this podcast, because that's how you are. You just blow with everything. So let us share a bit of who you are with our viewers. Can you give us a little background of how you became a, the most famous author in Poland? <laughs> I know. that's a little Well, first of all, I love that you connect me with nature because that idea of connecting to earth, it, you have taught me to go so much deeper with that. And I really appreciate it. Um, as far as me, you know, I, the quick version, you know, I grew up in a big family, 11 kids, and I was the um, odd man out. I, I always felt like I just didn't fit in anywhere. And I was always, I think I was just born hungry, like spiritually hungry. And I was always seeking and always looking in the wrong places. And uh, it's taken me a long time to kind of come to honoring who I am on the inside. That's what I hope to share through my podcast, through my writing, through my books and all that. And it might not always look the same. You know, I tell people we're, we're all on the different detours, but they lead us to the same place, which is, I think, a deeper relationship with a God who loves us or the spirit of the universe or whatever you want to call it. But I think everything that happens to us becomes the great gift. And in my life, I got pregnant at 21, wasn't married, huge detour at the time. Mm-hmm. My daughter's now 42, greatest gift in my life. Got cancer at 41, another detour I didn't want. And yet it helped me to connect with so many people and, you know, to be um, vulnerable in a new way and yet powerful in a new way. So I like that idea of the detours are really the path, but we just don't see it at the time. Well, detours are the theme of your new podcast that you just launched. Yeah, Little Detours with Regina Brett. My daughter came up with a title. I, was, I, I wanted to call it like Stargazer or Stardust or I don't know, something kind of woo-woo and universal. And she goes, Mom, why don't you call it Little Detours with Regina Brett? And the first book I wrote was God Never Blinks, 50 right. Lessons for Life's Little Detour. So they, they kind of match. And my whole life has been kind of stumbling and falling and getting up. And I think 
in my mind, the people that are most successful aren't the ones who don't fall, but the ones who just get up faster and keep moving and help the next person so that they get up faster. Well, that is perfect because while I was outside just before the podcast, we have a beautiful red-tailed hawk nest in our forest behind our house. And what I got to see and hear, because there were all kinds of sounds with this, there were a mother and father hawk, and they were fledging their babies. And the baby hawks were flying around with this very high-pitched sound. They were cheeping, and the parents were flying around. And everyone knew where everyone was in the air, and you could feel how the parents were watching their babies zoom out into the world and fly for the first time. It was really amazing. But it also reminded me of you. Because in your writings and the way that you present things, it's like you help people fledge. (laughs) You help them find their wings and move out into the world. That is so beautiful. It's funny you said it because I have this little ceramic bird that I love that sits on my writing desk. There was a writer who once said, every writer needs a little bird on her desk. Mm. So right before you open this show, I put my little bird right in front of me, which I never have done. So there must be something about that taking taking flight. And I really appreciate that you share that. Um, I really do believe that when you watch a bird for the first time, you know, trying to go out of the nest and falling and then doing it over and over, and then they finally have to trust their own wings. I think all of us have to get to that point where we trust our wings, but we only know how powerful they are when we actually jump out of the nest. And I've fallen so many times out of the nest, but I feel like I'm soaring higher than ever. And I think that's what I like to do with my podcast, and I'm sure yours too, is that, you know, we've flown now and I want to help other people test their wings and go higher than I've even gone. Absolutely true. That's the reason that this podcast exists. And this particular podcast, Earth Love Spirit, for me, is about how we take our spiritual being, our higher being, the most glorious, light-filled part of our being, and bring it into our daily life. How we make that a reality of our identity, of how we express ourselves in life, so that the most beautiful light of our being can shine on a daily basis. And that's what you help people do. Now, would it be possible for us to actually address uh, what's going on in the world right now? Because we're recording this a couple months into the, the virus experience. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about this. What's, what's rambling around in your being about what we're going through? You know, I look at it as this great spiritual pause that this earth, literally the earth, the planet earth has been spinning kind of out of control because of the way the humans have treated it. And I think that's powerful because plant life has not been affected and animal life for the most part has not been affected by this virus, but human beings who are really hurting the planet have been stopped in the most powerful way. We can't fly places. We can't pollute the world the way we used to. Everybody has to stop and really look at how they are living. And I love the idea that, um, that your life in front of you is really the highest spiritual path. Yeah, I used to think, go on these retreats and meditate and read these deep books and all that was really good. And I used to spend hours in meditation. And I realized life is offering me the deepest path. 
And this virus, this coronavirus, is really a deep spiritual path. People are kind of waiting for it to go away. I think you're going to miss the, the maybe the biggest piece here that you've been given as a gift is that in the midst of this, what is the universe telling you how to live differently? And for me, it's living deeper. You know, sometimes we we honor everybody that grows bigger and bigger and the celebrityism and the more likes you have and the more followers you have and the more friends and this online world that you can't even see. But we feed that. And I think what's happened with the virus is it's saying, who are you in the world at your deepest core? And when this does lift and change, who do you want to go back out there as? You know, there's an old saying, when you put your hand in the river and take it out, if you put your hand back in, it's a different river. Because the river keeps moving. And this coronavirus has been moving. It's not like it's set in and we're just kind of in a waiting room. And I think some people feel like that. We're just in this giant waiting room. No, the waiting room is life. What we're living right now is life at its deepest, sometimes messiest. And for those who have lost people they love or lost um, careers that they had planned on, again, it's that detour. It's that there was a path we thought was going to happen, but life is giving us the the one we're on. And for those, you know, people, my brother-in-law got the virus, my husband's um, brother, and he was really sick for three weeks. And you know what? It made us so deeply appreciate him even more. I mean, we always have loved him, but the thought of him going through all this pain and not knowing if he'd make it, it made us dig into even deeper as a family. So I look at this time, Sarah, as the pause between the notes and music. I play piano poorly, but I play anyway. Mm-hmm. The pause between the notes is what makes the notes beautiful. Because if you just hammered away like kids pounding on a piano with no pause, it sounds like noise. But what we were living was noise. So much of our life before the coronavirus was noise. And now it slows down. It's deep in things. We're spending time with family. We're getting back to like our kitchens as the place where we get our food and talk about getting it from the earth instead of the store. More people are gardening. People are out there in nature. I got to tell you, I live across from a a small lake. I've never seen so many people walking around that lake because that's now their lifeline to life is nature. Or before it was their cell phone. And as you're saying all this, I'm looking out at a very large tree in my yard and there's this giant knot hole with a big hole in the knot hole. And there's a pileated woodpecker that has a nest in there that I've never, I've sat here for almost 20 years in the same spot. And as I look up right now, that particular knot with that hole with that woodpecker is a miraculous sight. So we're back to our birds. They must be the, the spirit guides of our conversation today. That is beautiful. And you know, the the other thing that this virus has done for me, you know, when I had breast cancer uh, 1998, it was a really scary time for me. And that like the game of life threw in the air and all the pieces scattered. And I had to have a surgery and then I had to have chemotherapy that made me sick. I was bald for six months. I was just so weak. It took a year to get treatment and a year to recover. And in that year, I was in the slow lane of life. And I had to not look at the future and not look at the past. And I remember every morning, you know, especially going through chemo because it was real hard on me. I would say, okay, I'm putting, I put like blinders on like a horse. Like I'm not looking at next week because I'm going to get chemo and feel really sick. And I'm not looking at a week ago when I had chemo and got really sick. I'm going to live the hell out of today. And I think that's what the virus is doing is that 
we can't bear the thought of what if, what if this lasts for two years? What if it never ends? What if I lose my career, my job, my home, whatever? We have to stay in the day that we're in. And we can, and that day we can handle. Like I could do one day of cancer. I could do one day of chemo. I could do one day of being bald. And then pretty soon I was done. But when I counted up, oh my gosh, how long will this last? The fear and dread just swept me away. So I think mm-hmm. that present living, like we really have to, for our own sanity and mental health is to stay in the day we're in. I've heard people having these conversations about political things that might happen in November and about, you know, the virus two years from now. And I just quietly say, you're using your imagination to create more fear. Like what if you just stayed in the day we're in and like walked on the grass barefoot or go watch the hawk or, you know, hold your child's face in your hands instead of worrying about when school going to start up again or what's it going to look like is to, you know, stroke your child's hair and hold their face and be grateful that you have this little being in your life. And it's not always yippy skippy, happy, you know, cupcakes and unicorns, (laughs) but sometimes you got to say today is what I've been given and I'm going to rejoice in today and what today is. Beautiful spiritual teachings in the most simple, beautiful language. That's what you do. That's what you do in your books. That's what you do in your podcast. That's the essence of your being. Your daughter was right. (laughs) She got you the right, the right title for you. That's so funny because I always wish I, I wish I had the gift of wisdom and be more profound. But you know what? Life gave me a bumpy, messy life. And I always tell people, right in the mess is where all the magic is. We keep wanting for the mess to be over. It's like, no, no, climb in the mess. Be like a child. Get your feet dirty, you know, get your hands in the earth and just be completely alive. So let me ask you, Regina, when you're going through your life and all of a sudden you come up to the stop sign and it says detour this way, metaphorically, of course. Sure. What happens inside you? What's your process? If you can give us a little glimpse into that, is that possible? Sure, sure. So on a good day or a good hour, when I'm feeling really spiritually connected, and I mean, I've done my morning meditation and I've taken my mindful walk and I tied a pause and... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's part of your process. Let's hear a little bit right, more about okay. that. <laughs> so what I do is I call it spiritual maintenance, okay? So I do maintenance every day so that it's kind of like filling the ATM with money. If you don't put any money in the, the, the day you need it, you're not going to have any money. So to me, my spiritual ATM, I have to fill my spiritual ATM with my connection with this God who loves me, spirit, whatever you want to call it. I do that through meditation in the morning. I sit and I'm quiet. I don't do anything. I don't listen to music. I don't ring any bells. I just sit and I show up. I don't get visions of Mother Mary, no lightning bolts. I just... I'm quiet and I say, here I am. I show up. And then, you know, I read some spiritual readings that I love. Michael Singer is my favorite surrender experiment and the untethered soul. I go for a quiet, mindful walk and really remember that I'm on this beautiful planet. Michael Singer always says, we got the best planet in the entire universe. We have water, we have animals. You know, people complain about mosquitoes. He's like, we got mosquitoes on this planet. Like everything becomes like a treasure if you think of Pluto, uh, Neptune, Saturn, is there water on Mars? It's like, so I try to really walk in gratitude. So when I do hit a detour, if I'm like spiritually grounded, and you've taught me a lot about how to ground here. If I'm spiritually grounded, the detour looks interesting. 
I approach it with curiosity, like, ooh, if I'm not spiritually grounded, I throw a tantrum, I give, or I'm afraid, or it's not what I want, and how dare the universe not listen to my will, and I can be an unpleasant person. And sometimes the detour happens without me wanting it, sometimes without me knowing and understanding it, and I have to pause and say, all right, you know, my, my Catholic background was always the Bible, thy will not mine be done, God's will not mine, and it's still good. You know, the universe has something better for me. And so I don't know what that is. I look in the rearview mirror of my life and I did not want to be pregnant at 21. Greatest gift. Wow. You know, I didn't want to have cancer. And you know what? That journey made me a more powerful person in the world. I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, having, having had cancer and chemo and being involved and sick for a year, I can do the coronavirus a lot easier than people that haven't been through that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not to minimize what they're going through, but it's like people who've served in a war or who've worked on the front lines as a firefighter or a police officer or whatever. You know what you're made of because you had to already face that. So for me, the detours, when I'm spiritually grounded and I've done my spiritual maintenance, I'm like curious, like, ooh, wonder where this is going to take us. But if I'm not, if I'm too tired, if I haven't eaten enough, if I've been eating sloppy food and I'm not really taking care of my body that I've been given. I can kick and scream and I don't want this. This isn't what I want. Me, 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 me. But the detour is going to happen anyway. So at some point I, I fall enough and I surrender and say, all right, God, again, my basic Catholic, your will, not mine, or I'm going to surrender to what is life on life's terms. That's what some people call it, which is always better than what Regina wants to be honest. <laughs> yes, I understand that. Let me share one thing. When we went on a mm-hmm. retreat, Sarah, you took um, a group of us to uh, Mount Shasta. And I remember one of our early prep meetings, and we were sitting in a room at a little, oh, I forget the name of the town. Oh. Uh, McLeod. McLeod, yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, well, I know there are bears out there. What if somebody gets eaten by a bear? What if somebody gets attacked? And you go, well, then that's part of our retreat. <laughs> and I can, I'll never forget it, though, because I, at first I thought it was a joke, and I thought, no, whatever happens is the life you've been given. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to like it. There are things that happen that we don't like. And yet, I've interviewed thousands of people in my 33 years as a journalist. So many of them had experiences I would never, never want to have. And yet, each one of them shared a great gift they've been given in the midst of that thing that they wouldn't trade for anything in the world. You know, as you speak so sincerely and so deeply, I'm very touched. And it... It points out the reality that we're all walking. It's not what that TV reality is trying to convince us our life should be like. We, the majority of people, are walking through this life one step at a time, meeting and encountering all kinds of detours at every turn. And the way you speak and the way you write, it helps people drop off of that grid of what everything's supposed to be like and come into this very authentic relationship with yourself that's very real and fertile and grisly and wonderfully heart-centered and very, very real, which is what I love and what most people love and why, why you have people that really are inspired by your writings and what you put out into the world. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Well, I, I just look at it like 
the life we're given is better than anything we could come up with. And I have to trust that. I just have to trust it. And a lot of it's blind faith that, you know, I, I do have a, a connection with a God who loves me. There's no boogeyman God in my life anymore. I used to have a boogeyman. You know, I went to eight years of Catholic school and in first grade, they taught me my soul was black when I sinned. I thought, well, good luck. It's game over. I'm only six years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I had parents who did the best they could, but um, my dad ruled with a belt and screamed at us and called us names. And my mom was pretty much absent. And then I went to school and had some nuns who some really probably had mental illness issues that were, they were just so severely angry and, and hurtful. And yet, God still snuck into my life through all those cracks, you know, and I, I tell people I used to feel so unloved and unwanted. And today I feel so much love and so much joy. I want to like, give it away. I'll, I'll go for a walk and I'll like try to pour it on people I pass. Like, I hope they know how much they're loved. I, oh. I really believe that, you know, my life was a lot of messy stumbling. I, I did a lot of counseling to get through the child issues uh, for years. I, you know, my teenage years, I drank to get rid of the pain and then quit drinking and, really was on this spiritual path to heal me. And in the process, really came to celebrate who I am. And not that Regina Brett's a be-all, end-all, but we each of us are. We're each born worthy, but we don't know that. The world told us something else. Your parents, your teacher, your you know writing teacher in seventh grade made fun of your writing, so you never picked up a pen again. It's like, don't give them all that power. Like, you are so much more than what you've been told you are. Well, actually, Regina, I need to ask you this. Were you born with a pen in your hand? <laughs> You're so funny. Because every time I go to your, your solstice events or anything I do with you, I, I have to write. It's like breathing. And I think that's why my way to ground, Sarah, is when I have a pen in my hand. In fact, I have two in front of me. When I put pen to paper, I feel like I am connected to earth and to my deepest being. I started writing probably when I was in fifth grade. I read the book. Um, Harriet the Spy, and I started spying on my brothers and sisters. And there's a lot of material because I got five brothers and five sisters. But it was a real pain in the neck. But it helped me to make peace with the world. And then finally, I just kept journals and diaries. And I put all my pain and angst and fear, but it helped get it out of me to make room for like light and joy and love. So writing is really a spiritual practice to me. I know that when we used to sit in circle. Um, I usually tell people, put down your pen, put down your paper, <laughs> you know, become present. You were the only person that I knew had to write to be present. That is so funny. And I, I love you for giving me like a dispensation by the Pope here. I'm like, I'm allowed to use my pen. <laughs> but I have got to tell you, I, I did your grounding workshops and I had never before felt so grounded in me. And part of it was... Having been abused as a little girl, you know, sexually abused, physically abused, I could never feel safe in my body. I was in it, but I would always bump into things and my brain and my heart was always 10 steps ahead. And I was at one of your workshops and honest to goodness, I could feel my whole being land and dock, like almost like if a boat went up to dock and hooked in. Mm-hmm. And I felt for the first time, like I'm home and I know I'd never, I'll never feel untethered like that again. And that is what I want everyone to experience. That's in my soul. That's that's my experience to share with the world that I wish everyone could feel that docking in their being. Because once you have once you've made peace with and kind of integrated 
your body, your soul, your heart, your emotions, all those kind of bits and pieces. To me, once you're integrated, then you're whole. You know, I tell people when we were kids, don't do this at home. We used to break thermometers and, and have play with the mercury. Right. No we idea. Did that too. Yeah, okay. And the mercury would run around little balls and then you'd pull it together like kids at recess and then be one glob. Well, that's how I felt was like my whole soul was just scattered everywhere. And through your workshops, through meditation, through my quiet walks, all that mercury, that liquid metal comes together and it's whole in one place. And I think that's what, why we do these spiritual practices. It's to, to stay whole so we don't feel like we're scattered and shattered everywhere. Beautiful. I would like to take a little detour here because there's something that you speak about that I just love listening to you describe. And that is your trips to Ireland. Oh, oh that's my spiritual home, Ireland. Um, there's something about that spot of earth that feels to me like the deepest connection I have is in Ireland. My grandpa, my dad's father and mother both came from Ireland they left around 1907, 1904. They were both uh, had lost their moms. My grandpa was an orphan at 17, came to America. And I had been to Ireland six times. And one of the first things I mourned about this coronavirus, I thought, what if I can never go back? And I started to cry because it feels so much like home. And I hope anybody listening, you get a chance to go there. There's something about that island that the earth is so... Um, I don't know, it's like joyful and happy and they've got 20,000 shades of green. It's like you're on this green quilt. And there are all these stone circles from like 500 BC and beautiful spiritual places that um, I keep telling you, Sarah, you've got to have one of your, your uh, spiritual travelings there. I'd love to go with you. But, you know, I think people have to find like, where is their spiritual home on earth? And for me, it's Ireland. I feel so connected there. I feel so whole there. There was one of the places you described that I can't remember the name of, but it was like a little tiny monastery hut on a little... Oh, gosh, Skellig Michael. Yes. Okay, so if you saw the Star Wars movies, I uh, forget which one because I don't know the order, but um, there uh, you watch, I think, was it Ray? I think, who climbs or Jen? I, yeah, Ray. I think. She climbs these 618 steps on, up to these beehive huts. Well, there's a little... I couldn't even call it a, an island. It almost looks like a mountain jutting out of the ocean. And it's off the coast of Ireland near a little town called Port McGee. And so I took this boat from Port McGee to Skellig Michael. And five boats left with people and three went back because the water was so choppy they were afraid. And people on our boat were getting sick and the waves were crazy. And I just looked at that sky and said, I know I'm in good hands. Went to Skellig Michael and... The monks used to live there in 1200, um, the year 1200. They lived there for centuries, and they lived on this little island. They built a little path that goes straight up. There's no guardrail. You look like you could follow the edge. And at the top, they made these beehive huts with just rocks, and they're still there. No mortar, no materials to hold them together. And you can go in them. And I sat there, and I just looked at all the ocean around me. And for the first time, it was weird, but I realized the ocean is the earth. I used to separate like earth and water. It's like, no, no, the ocean is the earth. We are made of water. We're made of earth. And I felt that wholeness of um, being connected, kind of my spiritual energy to the earth energy, to the sky energy. I, I felt like, again, like that mercury all came together 
And in Ireland, as soon as I see that island, that Emerald Island, and when I land into Shannon, I feel like I'm home. And I even have an Irish passport. I was able to become an Irish citizen. So I feel like I've got two homes on earth. It's wonderful for people to hear kind of the source of where you sit in your heart and your being and where your writings come from, because they obviously go through a filtering process that takes something very deep and personal and makes them very accessible and universal. Well, you know, every writing for me, I call it like a scanner. I write, I'll write just from the, the it's like a fountain that just, I have to catch what comes out. And then when I'm done, I send it through my spiritual scanner. What I do is I pray and I say, okay, God, if I hurt anybody, point it out. If I was inaccurate, point it out. If there's anything here that needs to be different, I, I just kind of pray over it and trust the spiritual scanner. And, and I'm doing the best I can, but it'll never be perfect. But I know that Maybe in the messiness and the brokenness is where I'm going to reach more people. Who knows? I love that spiritual scanner, but that's an amazing process that that you put your writing through. Well, it's funny because having the cancer experience, you know, I've, I've been having bone scans, I've had MRIs, and you go through these machines and 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 they scan your body and they show you if when you're out like a picture of your skeleton, and you're like, oh my gosh! And I feel like okay, God can see all the way into my writing to the skeleton to see, did I miss something that I can't see with my eyes? And that's really how I got the name of my first book. Um, you know, God never blinks. Like I blink and I'm going to miss stuff, but God doesn't blink. So God will catch what I don't. Can I share one experience that you gave me? Oh, it was one of the greatest gifts of my life, Sarah. Oh, please. You, took, you took us to um, Mount Shasta a couple of years ago. And at the time, my mom had Alzheimer's. And out of 11 kids, God picked me to be her main caretaker. And I have no idea why, because I, I love my mom and still do, but I never felt loved by her. I never felt connected to her. I never felt like we bonded. There was a lot of neglect and, and she was overwhelmed with 11 kids. And when she had Alzheimer's, it was real hard because all of that pain came up and it needed to be healed. But when I went on that retreat with you and I think 10 or 12 others, I just was tired. I was tired of taking care of her. And I'm going to be honest, it, I, I was ready to be done and I was kind of saying, all right, God, whenever you're ready for her, she's ready. And I am too, because it just wears you out spiritually, emotionally. And I felt like I can't be done, but I felt like I just don't feel anything for her. So we went and we, you, we went to a place on Mount Chester in that area. And you said, okay, go ahead and find a spot to meditate and all these giant boulders and rocks. And I just, I sat down for a while. I couldn't get grounded and didn't feel anything. And everybody else is probably like, ooh, into meditation deeply. And I'm like, nothing happening here, you know, <laughs> kind of a dud, you know, fireworks, it's not working. And I stood up and as soon as that my feet were on the ground, I looked between the pines and there was Mount Chasta, brilliant white, almost like this giant white iceberg of a mountain. And I felt like it caught me and held me. And I had this deep, powerful experience that I can never, words can't be enough, but I just stayed in it. Sometimes you just have to stay. I don't even know what that means, except don't go into your head, just stay. And as I just stayed on the ground, I could see my mom and I could touch her white hair. And I felt like I was holding her, almost like when you look at the Pieta with uh, Mary holding Jesus's broken body. And there's that beautiful work of art of it. And I felt like I was holding my mom. Now, my mom was still alive, but I felt like I was holding her kind of crumpled old body. And I felt this powerful, 
yes come out of me to the universe that said, I will carry her all the way home. Mm-hmm. I remember just weeping. I don't even know if anybody could hear me. I hope I didn't interrupt the meditation of everybody else, but I just wept and wept. And I kept this vow that I think I made before I even came on earth that I would be the one to carry my mom home. And I came back and I thought, okay, I'm going to love her better than I can, that I've ever loved her. And the first time I saw her, when I got back, she took me in her room at Light of Hearts Rural Nursing Home. And she said, can you tell me whose clothes are my closet? These, these aren't mine. And I realized the Alzheimer's in one week had already gotten worse. And my first thought was, oh no, she's, she's fallen down or wrong. And then I realized, no, she's getting ready to leave. That experience helped me to realize she's ascending. And I love that the place you took us to was called Ascension Rock, which I had no idea at the time. And I felt like that whole experience of helping somebody die and physically die, die to self, whatever. I was able to help my mom become free enough to leave and heal her childhood stuff with us and her own childhood. We had some good talks after that. But that retreat experience of being grounded enough to that I could go into the pain, or maybe the pain just opened up, and I could go in there and be with my mom spiritually when I couldn't actually physically be present with the Alzheimer's. Like spirituality, like it took this deep leap over all the Alzheimer's and I could connect with my mom in a way I never could connect before the Alzheimer's or during the Alzheimer's. That is a true retreat. And it's a, a true experience with that mountain, with the, the being of that Mount Shasta. It's quite a blessing for us. Wow. So anybody out there, like, again, that was another detour. Like, I didn't think I'd be on my mom's Alzheimer's. And yet, every time I went to visit her, when I would leave there, sometimes feeling loved and, oh, what a great experience. But most times going, God, I don't know why you picked me. I'm doing my best. But it, sometimes it was just hard to love somebody who never loved me in the way I needed it. But what I did, Sarah, was... I made this vow that I was going to love her better than she ever loved me. Mm. And you know what? Every time I left that nursing home, it was usually sunset and beautiful sunset in the parking lot out in Bedford, Ohio. And I would say, well, God, I did it. I loved her better than she loved me. And it was like, I I just kind of like check. Okay, God, ready for the next visit, you know? And, And I think we have to make our life, Whatever challenge we're given, we have to see it as our spiritual challenge. Can you love your ex-husband better than he treated you? Can you love that child with autism better than the child you maybe had hoped to have that you could communicate with better, but now this is the child you got? You know, I have dear friends and a a nephew who has autism, and, and like we have to learn how to be differently, and it helps us to deepen as human beings. And to me, there's the spiritual gift in this. And if we stop looking at what we wished we would have had, Instead, embrace what we were given and go deep into that. I think that's the secret of life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think you have summed up all the spiritual teachings, the essential spiritual teachings <laughs> of all religions and all spiritual paths in, in, you, Sarah, in the last half hour. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending time with us, Regina. Can you uh, tell people how they can get in contact with you, how they can sign up to receive your your podcast and where to get your books, all of that? Well, I have a website, uh, www.reginabrett.com. And on my website, reginabrett.com, you can listen to little detours with Regina Brett. 
You can also listen to it on Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you hear your podcasts. I also have a newsletter that is kind of fun. I call it my wow. I pick a word of the week. This week, my word was courage. The week before, it was shine. But every week, you get a little PDF from me with a printout of the word of the week that you can kind of post as an affirmation and make that be your center. And um, the books are also available on my website. Um, so that's kind of like my shop, so to speak, reginabrett.com. Beautiful. You know, I do want to mention um, your activity in Poland. Oh, my Poland. <laughs> oh. oh, so that's another thing the universe gave me. Out of all the countries in the world, the universe gave me Poland. My first book is in 22 languages. Um, and for some reason, the people in Poland fell in love with me. I've been to Poland four times on four different book tours. They have actually have two more books of mine that they printed that I haven't been able to get a publisher yet in the U.S. for. So I have six books in Polish. I don't speak Polish except for Dobizenia, Dziękuję Barso. You know, I could say enough to get me through. But for some reason, Poland is such a wounded country, you know, wounded from Nazi Germany, from the communism. And I feel like, you know, the concentration camps were put there by the Nazis. And so this country that was so wounded, I feel like God has asked me to be part of their healing. What an honor. And when I had my book signings, the last book signing I had where there was in Warsaw two years ago, 400 people at a bookstore. And I was there till like 11 o'clock signing books and hugging people. But it feels like a ministry that connects me to people in a way that, again, I surrender. How does God want to use me? You know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not famous in the United States as much as I am in Poland. And I just surrender that like, you know, wherever you want me, God. And I, one last thing, Sarah, my business plan has always been, I will write the books and God, you deliver them. You mm. get my books and my podcast, whoever needs it or wants it. I'm not going to count the number of downloads or the sales figures or the Amazon ratings. All my job is, is to show up and give it my best and then completely surrender all the results. And it's worked. It certainly has, and we're, we've all benefited from it. Thank you so much, and many blessings to you and to our listeners, and we're just so grateful that you could spend this time with us. And thank you, Sarah, so much, and all those listening. God bless you. So all of Regina's information will be in the show notes, and it's been lovely. Thank you so much, Regina. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.